0: you'd remain standing for our scripture, it comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 through 38. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was given the name Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was very old and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them, at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's good to be here with you all today, and I want to begin this morning by thanking every one of you who helped to make our Advent and our Christmas celebration such a success. I know that so much happens because of each of you as volunteers who assist in worship, who usher, who help set up for events, who sang in the choir, who helped clean up, and for all of the other ways that everything came together. I also want to take a quick minute to share with you all what I think is kind of a neat thing is the recap of events that happened in our church during the season of Advent. And I know there's more that I could list, but uh, you know we had the community chorus concert here. We had the community band concert. We had a, the Special Olympics had their Christmas party in our gym that I think I was told had like 260 p- participants in there. Uh, the Clovis High School choirs had their winter concert in our sanctuary. We had our own cantata that we offered with Kingswood. We had the ladies' Christmas tea. We had the team meetings. We even had the, uh, the Wildcat basketball, Lady Wildcat basketball team had a dinner here. Um, And then we did all of that, as well as regular worship, as well as choir rehearsals, as well as all of the other things that happen. And so I just think it's a privilege for us as a church and as a congregation to be able to host so many of these community events, especially in this time of year, in Christmas, in an Advent, when everything that we're doing, even when the culture does not intend to do it, we're pointing our eyes towards Jesus and towards the gift that he offers us. And so that's just a really cool thing. I also want to thank all of you who made a contribution toward our Christmas Eve offering to date. I think it's a little over $5,000 that we've received to support the Haiti Water Project and then Parkview Elementary School. And I think both of these projects are worthwhile ways for our church to be in ministry with others and for others. Both is in the way that we work to to help provide life-changing water to those who do not have access to it while also supporting the staff and the students of one of our own schools in our own community. I know I've shared with you many times, but one of the highlights of of being in ministry at this church for me is the opportunity to represent you at Parkview, Uh, to be able to go and deliver food baskets. This last year, I didn't tell you all this, but as I was living the the Thanksgiving basket foods, uh, the coordinator of the school brought out, she had about 12 fifth-graders, you know, and so they unloaded the Suburban and stuff. It was the easiest day I've had in all the years I've done it. And the neatest part is, you know, is the whole time they're talking to me. And so I was just able to kind of say, you know, well, yeah, this is from the church. And of course they knew that, but just being able to talk with them about that and just being able to kind of offer just a little more than just the food baskets, I think is a great opportunity. And so I want to thank you all for your support of Parkview. And I think our uh, support of the Haiti Water Project, you know, this is a kind of project that I love. I love the projects that you and I are able to contribute and help to participate to both provide something that fulfills a need for someone else. But then also it enables and equips people to have employment that need it in those same areas. So it's not just you know, us sending money somewhere, but it's people who've been raised up and, and trained and, and are providing this service, providing the installation to, to, to make income for themselves while also providing an opportunity to collect water for those who need it most. And so I want to thank you for having a heart for others this Christmas. If you didn't make a Christmas Eve offering comp- contribution, you still can. You just need to mark that specifically um, on your check. So I want to begin this morning by uh, just taking this opportunity to get us thinking a little bit about the start of a new year. I think it's kind of a neat opportunity that we have today on December 31st to be gathered here in worship of God together as we look back and think about the year that has passed and also as we look ahead in the year to come. I want to share with you that I'm always fascinated at the quick change on social media from December 25th to today i don't know about you so i just do facebook um well i think do i do i have an instagram but i never do instagram but whatever um so if i'm on instagram and you're instagramming me i've never looked at it okay uh i don't know about you but you know i i look at the the change and i have friends in my life especially on social media and i don't know if this is true or not but uh they lay out their entire plan for the next year And they do that on December 26th. Like, they haven't even cleaned up the wrapping paper from Christmas. And they already know what the next year's going to be. They know what they're going to do for vacation. They know what they're going to wear next Thanksgiving. They have their book list charted out. And they've got the 26 titles that they're going to read in the coming year. And then they even have the books bought. And they're piled up there in their office or wherever they are. They have goals set. They've evaluated the last year, and honestly, I think if they could have already gotten their W-2s, they already would have their taxes done as well. If you're one of those people, please don't be offended. I'm impressed. If you're one of the, uh, you know, and and I'm a little different, and maybe that's what most of us are are more like, but I'm happy for today. I look forward for tomorrow, and I consider myself fortunate in the turning of the year when am I typing if if I get the year right the first time I do it. Um, I may have some things planned, and I do, but usually for me it's on a rough layout with a tablet where I have dates charted out and I kind of have things projected. Especially in terms of work and in terms of sermons and preaching and stuff like that. Um, But I couldn't lay it all out for you with the thoroughness that some are able to do. And so that gets me thinking about our scripture reading this morning. That comes to us from the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 and it tells us of a man and it tells us of a woman who both arose each day with the hope and plan that today would be the day. They got up every day hoping that today would be the day that they would be able to see the Messiah. Their names were Simeon and Anna. We often list them together like we do Mary and Joseph and Elizabeth and Zechariah. They weren't married. They're separate people. But they're two individuals who made it their goal and who believed and who had been told by God that they would see the Messiah before they died. And so in our scripture today, I want us to take a little time to think about Simeon's story, his part of the story, to see how we receive that. I think we need to begin with the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 and we need to think about this day. That Mary and Joseph appear in the temple with Jesus. I want to stress that this is an ordinary day. It's not a day that, that uh, anything remarkable or unusual is supposed to happen. Luke describes to us what I believe is a normal day. A bustling day as, uh, as pilgrims and priests approach the temple to go about their worship. I think it was a normal day and that it was noisy. As the lambs and the goats and the heifers and whatever else it was, the birds that were offered as sacrifice made their different sounds. I think it was a normal day and that Mary and Joseph would have been one of the many couples who made the trip to the temple to offer their sacrifice for the purification after childbirth. They're there to dedicate their newborn son to God, their firstborn child, and they're also there to offer sacrifice to receive cleansing after childbirth. Luke writes down this. He tells us what the required sacrifice was in the law of Moses. He says, Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of dove or two young pigeons. It's kind of ironic that Mary and Joseph are offering a sacrifice of thanks to God with two small birds for their son, the one that they're carrying, which will be the ultimate sacrifice who's offered to God to redeem all the sins of the world. But it's on this ordinary day that Joseph and Mary have lined up in this queue of pilgrims. There's a line. They would have held the dove in their arms or in their hands. One of them would have held baby Jesus and they would have waited for the next priest to come who was free of his prior responsibilities and the priest would have come and gotten them And when it came for their turn, they would have gone with him, and they would have prayerfully watched as he sacrificed the doves, placed their blood on the altar, and then offered the birds as a burnt offering. So there's nothing extraordinary about this day. Nothing extraordinary about this sacrifice, except for the ones who are offering it to God. No one's expecting anything out of the ordinary. No one is looking for the Messiah that day, except for Simeon and Anna. If you think about it, the scripture tells us that it has been 400 years since Malachi, as the last Old Testament prophet that we read of in the Old Testament, has spoken words looking ahead. So it's been over 400 years that the people of Israel's eyes have been reoriented toward the one that is to come, for them to have heard the promise, for them to have heard the the prophecy of the one that is to come for them. And so I don't think anyone is there looking for anything out of the ordinary. If you think about it, you know, the Romans are are watching, they're making sure nothing is happening, their flag is flying, they're there. No one knows what God is cooking up, what God is working on, what God has already enacted. No one is there looking for a new king which means the temple officials are going through their day the herod and his sons are going through their day Pilate is going through his well it wouldn't have been Pilate. Pilate wasn't the procurator then whoever the roman official was at that time was going through his day the roman soldiers are not looking not even the average jewish man or woman is looking for the messiah and the person of jesus in that child except for they're offering a prayer a general prayer looking for a messiah praying for a messiah anticipating a messiah and so no one knew that when this young couple came into the temple with a baby in their arms was the one that was, was, were the ones that they were all looking for. The only ones that knew, if you think about it, are Joseph, are Mary, are the shepherds and the magi, depending on the timeline. But of all the people in the temple that day, there were two people who were looking. No one else was looking except for Simeon and an older widow named Anna. Both had clung to the hope spelled out by the prophets. Both were waiting for the Messiah, and while so many missed the signs, while so many missed the shepherd's message, while so many missed even the journey of the Magi, Simeon and Anna, they continued to wait, and both of them continued to believe. Now, do we know if they'd heard of the shepherd's message? Luke doesn't tell us that which makes me think that probably not. I don't think they'd heard of what had happened in Bethlehem. But I do know from what the Scripture tells us as they had both come to the temple each and every day faithfully waiting for what God was going to present to them. Luke doesn't give us much more about them. We know that Anna has been a widow for much of her life. We know that Simeon is an older man who was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. We don't know his family. We don't know his town. We don't know what his occupation was. But what we do know is his heart. Because he was faithful and because he was a faithful follower of God who looked ahead. He believed that God was going to work to save his people and he knew that the Messiah was going to come, not through the heralds that announced the king, but he knew that the Messiah would come through the whisper of the Holy Spirit, and so he kept his ear attuned to what God was saying to him so that if the Holy Spirit spoke, he would be ready and he would be receptive. And so every day he comes to the temple. And I think every day as I picture in my mind, if you look at a line of people and think about that, I think every day his eyes slowly went down that line, looking at young couples, looking at those who are waiting to offer their sacrifice. And his eyes likely paused over each couple holding a newborn child in their arms, only to move on down the line to the next. But see, here's where this ordinary day in the temple becomes different. Because as Simeon's eyes pan the line like they had done so many days before, his eyes come to rest on a young couple holding a baby. And something is different. The Holy Spirit confirms to him that Jesus is the one. This is the Son of God. Luke doesn't tell us how Simeon knows, he just knows. Luke doesn't tell us what kind of, of holy prompt he received. All Simeon knows is that the child that is being held by his parents is the one that he had been waiting for. Is the one that Israel had been waiting for. It was the Messiah. It is the Redeemer. It is the Christ. Can you imagine his joy as, he opens, as God opens his eyes to the truth that is before him? And as Simeon takes the infant Jesus into his arms, he carries the one who will carry all of his people from sin to our salvation offered to us by God. This is the one. This is the one he's waiting for. This is the one that's been anticipated. And so as he holds the child, Simeon blesses the child and thanks God for the fulfillment of what has happened. He's waited. And God has granted his prayer, and so he prays, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. You know, in his arms is not just a child. In his arms is salvation. Jesus salvation salvation for Simeon salvation for Mary and Joseph salvation for all people salvation for the Jews salvation for the Gentiles salvation for every tribe every tongue every nation salvation for all of us who look to him and who choose to believe if you think about it in Simeon's arms is the fulfillment of God's promise 2,000 years before in Genesis 12. The promise when God went to a man named Abram and then named him Abraham. And he invited him to look up at the stars and he told him that if you are faithful and make this covenant with me, I will bless you and your descendants will be a blessing for all people. Jesus is the one that fulfills that first covenant that we read of in Genesis 12. Jesus is the one that the prophets have pointed to. He's the root of Jesse's stump. He's the line of David. He's born in Bethlehem. He's of, born of a virgin. He's the Passover lamb. He's the final sacrifice for sin. He's a suffering servant and he's a conquering king. He's Emmanuel. And he's the fulfillment of all prophecies who's now being held in Simeon's arms. And Simeon is ready to die. God has fulfilled the promise to him that he would see the Redeemer of all of Israel. Simeon is now ready to face his own death because he has seen the one who would conquer death for all time. So what can we learn from him? I think we can look to Simeon and we can see how important it is for us to persevere When it comes to our worship, when it comes to our study, when it comes to our service, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to being faithful to God in an age and in a time where there's a lot of cynicism, there's a lot of questioning, and there's just disbelief. I have to think that even as Simeon became a fixture in the temple, people saw him, and as they found out why he was there every day, I have to wonder if they scoffed and said, there's that man again. Because they weren't looking. They weren't anticipating. And they weren't listening to what God was saying. We can be more like Simeon, not just in our worship. But by doing more and expecting to see God, expecting to experience God, expecting to meet God, We can be more like Simeon by putting our life and our faith in Jesus. Because he didn't consider seeing the Messiah a box to be checked off his list in his life. He considered seeing the Messiah to be a discovery where he himself discovered the Christ. He wasn't seeking out his death, but what he was doing was seeking out life. He sought out the life, and the assurance of his salvation. And he placed it on and in the Prince of Peace. Amen.